covid appear to have knocked out brick and mortar stores will they rise like a phoenix from a rubble aided by a raft of new technologies for experiential marketing if the latest forecasts are to be believed store openings in 2021 will boom big stores are obviously taking the lead but what about an average size retailer what shape will the retail renaissance take let's find out Hi guys this is your host Ashish Jain and you're listening to the Alignment podcast where we go beyond the buzzwords and connect the dots between technology and its business impact. Meet my guest for today's podcast, Ricardo Belmar. He's a prominent thought leader in the retail industry. He's regularly featured by major publications and actively talks about the impact of technology in retail. Ricardo was named a top 100 global retail influencer by Rethink Retail. He recently joined Microsoft as a senior partner marketing advisor for retail and CPG to strengthen the retail partnership community. CIOs are grappling with the abundance of technology choices before them. X-reality, 5G and Wi-Fi, AI, all that can potentially make experiential marketing a familiar reality. My goal in the discussion today is to uncover some of the practical realities of technology adoption in retail. So without further ado, let me welcome Ricardo Belmar. Ricardo, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Ashish. Happy to be here. Great. So you've been a retail guru, I should call it, for past many years. Give us a, a scoop of uh, what you've been working in the retail side and introduce yourself and let's dive in and practical technology adoption. Sure. Yeah. So I, I have been in and out of the, you know, the retail industry for a while, probably the last couple of decades here, especially in the last uh, 10 years or so, I've really been focused on retail technology. I've been with uh, managed service providers, delivering solutions to retail, ranging from communications technology to digital signage to training and learning applications and Wi-Fi, all, all kinds of things, as well as some cloud-based um, solution providers. I, and now, as you mentioned, you know, landed at uh, Microsoft to work with the partner community there. So I, I've always had this perspective from the solution provider side, kind of, I, I call it looking at it from the outside in for retailers. And I view my role always as being one where I'm trying to help the retailer get the best value out of a technology investment. And I'm sure you've noticed in the past few years, because there are so many new technologies being thrown at retailers, that it's pretty easy for retailers to kind of get caught up in the in the latest, you know, shiny objects, reflecting that them in the, in the distance, right, trying to get their attention. And you hear a lot of you know, retail experts talking about not getting... Uh, caught in the moment where you're just deploying technology in the store for the sake of technology, right? It, it has to have a purpose and it has to help the customer experience in some way. It's got to optimize operations. There's got to be a greater good, so to speak, in how you're integrating technology. And that's that's what I like, like to say I do. I, I talk with retailers. I talk with a lot of retail tech providers, especially in the startup community, about how they're trying to solve a lot of uh, business challenges for retailers. And it's it's been quite an interesting ride. I mean, as you said, you know, early on, this past year has just been quite a shocker for the industry, much as it, I suppose, can, you know, has been for so many industries. But I, I'm overall, I'm positive for the outlook for retail in, in, 20, in the second half of 2021 and beyond compared to what we saw in 2020. Yeah, no, that's that's exciting. Well, first of all, congratulations on, you know, joining Microsoft. That's, I think, that's a great move. And so, you talked about shiny objects, right? So let's talk about let's let's talk about what is the latest shiny object that retailers are getting attracted towards. Oh, there, there's there's a, there are a few of them, and they, they kind of come and go. Usually, each year, I like to judge based on 
what the uh, biggest themes are at the NRF show uh, in January. And of course, this year was a little bit tricky to do that because it was a virtual event. So there was no physical conference to look at what the vendors are, are showing off. But if I go just based on what I see being marketed to retailers and what all the buzz is about, you know, there's some usual suspects, right? So AI is still very prominent in terms of what new practical use cases there are for AI. As a matter of fact, I, I, I've been hosting a series of discussions in Clubhouse lately, and AI has been probably one of the more popular ones that I ran where I had a few leading vendors talk about real-world use cases for that. And we got quite a number of questions in the room about what that looks like. You know, if you go by the past couple of years of, of retail conferences, you know, back in the days when we had conferences, you would see just countless vendors talking about how they've AI enabled or AI enhanced their application or whatever the overall solution was. And one of the, in 2020s NRF, one of the really popular ones was showing off robotics and what were tangible robotics use cases in retail. I mean, I, I don't think you could walk more than down any aisle on the exhibit floor and you'd, you'd trip over a robot somewhere. Uh, because it was so popular. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of continued. I think maybe the robotics is, is maybe a little less so because we haven't had physical conferences for people to look at the robots, but you still see the use cases talked about a lot, especially in grocery and especially now uh, in 2020 because e-commerce has taken off so so dramatically. There's a lot more discussion about how fulfillment centers operate and distribution centers and what the advantages of automation and robotics are in those environments. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned something uh, interesting here, right? So uh, a shift in just in general from being physical to virtual, right? So, and I see there is a trend in terms of how the consumers are buying. The buying behavior is changing. The in-store traffic definitely is reducing and the preference for digital decision-making is increasing. I mean, I don't shop anything in-store unless I look on, online before. It has caused... And definitely retailers to pivot towards, you know, more, of course, curbside pickup, which we all know happened, was forced on them. Ship from store was already there to some extent. And this concept of buy online and pick up in store, which is, of course, gaining more traction. Does it mean like we are at a verge of some major trend of transforming stores to these micro fulfillment centers or edge distribution centers for digital commerce? Well, there's definitely a trend there, right? And, and we see it because of the rise of curbside over the past year. I, you, know, you have exceptional retailers like Target, for example, which I think in their latest financials, you know, we're reporting that they've got over well over 90% of their e-commerce fulfillment is coming from stores now, which means that they're shipped from store has been so successfully optimized that you know their, their stores have become both showroom and fulfillment center at the same time. And a, a big chunk of that is being you know last mile fulfilled to the customer through their drive up or curbside pickup. And they're not alone, right? They're not the only ones doing that. Walmart's been really successful with that. Best Buy last year during lockdowns, right, saw all of their stores closed, but they managed to retain 75% of their sales volume. And how did they do that? They did it by using the store as a fulfillment center for curbside pickup. And now this year, we, we've seen reports from Best Buy that they're experimenting with, uh, I think it's five or six locations where they're reorganizing the floor space and reducing the overall customer-facing showroom space to give themselves more room inside the facility to act as that micro-fulfillment center. So there's definitely, I mean, my, my view is uh, still that, you know, stores are, are very much alive and well. I think that stores are, are not going away anytime soon. You know, some people like to argue and say, well, is the is the purpose of stores now just going to be this last mile fulfillment because customers are only going to come to pick up their orders so they don't have to wait for it. I think every consumer has gotten a new habit right, out of curbside pickup. 
I, I mean, you, you mentioned it. I, I do it just as much. You know, I, I like the ability to be able to just, you know, I put the order in now and I know in about an hour's or maybe two hours time, I can get in my car and drive over in a few minutes and I have my purchase, right? And I'm done. I don't have to even wait for Amazon's two-day prime delivery. And that's great. I think consumers absolutely love that. But that works when you know as the consumer exactly what you want. And, you know, I, I refer to that as, you know, it's, it's not shopping, it's buying, right? I'm buying with intent. I already know what I want. It's very much the, what e-commerce is optimized for, frankly. You know, if I go to any e-commerce website and I do a search for an exact item I want, it's going to come up, click on a buy button and I'm done, right? It's a great experience that way. But what I ask everyone always is, you know, what happens when you don't exactly know which item you want? You have an idea of what you want, but you're still trying to figure out which of, I don't know, let's say it's 20 different brands that are available in that product category. How do you decide which one you want? And you mentioned something earlier, right, that you almost always start your, your buying experience in a, in a digital format. And I think the majority of consumers do that today as well. You'll either start on your smartphone or, or on you know any uh, computing device of any kind, and you'll do some searching. You'll do a little bit of research, right? That discovery phase is happening by researching multiple items in that same category and hopefully you narrow it down but what happens a lot of the time you are in a product category where you need to see it you need to touch it feel it get a sense of how it looks how it operates without a store you can't do that you know e-commerce is not optimized for this discovery process and quite frankly i mean i I would argue that it's generally a pretty bad experience uh, to do that in fact I laugh at that you know it's funny because I've talked to so many people I've mentioned this in, in other discussions where Think about how much time you spend searching online in that scenario. You know, you could easily sit down and spend hours, right, in that digital discovery mode searching for the right item. And over the past year, we all did it because we didn't have a choice, right, or you didn't feel comfortable going to that store. Now, as, you know, people get vaccinated and stores open up and we don't have these capacity constraints, people would get more comfortable, again, going into a store. That process, I would argue... It might take you hours of digital surfing <laughs> to come up with the answer of which item do I want to buy. It's probably a 20-minute experience in a store equivalent. And, and the reason for that is that the store layout is just much more conducive to that discovery process than a flat screen. Yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting, right? But it's also a balance of choices versus the shelf space, right? You mentioned that, right? So, I mean, I recently redid my living room, right? And of course, I did it during COVID, so I had no choice but to think and look at it online. We took a risk of, okay, I can't have a warm feeling of sitting on a couch and feeling what it will feel like. So we just went on customer reviews and said, okay. So same time, right? I also feel it's a balance of how you want to create that experience based on the number of choices. Because I mean, if I go to you know, these sort of big retail online shops gives me hundreds of choices to look at, to figure out, okay, what do I exactly want? Versus to your point, I have a limited choice when I go to in-store because of the shelf space and my choice is limited. So I'm not sure, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a question of that mass personalization. And that leads to my next question, right? So on, on one side in retail, we talk about optimization of the supply chain and efficiency of delivery and quickness. And that is one aspect of experience. The second extreme of experience we talk about is personalized, customized experience, right? And when you look at the the experiential retail marketing, of course, shoppers are finally returning to retail stores to your point. A lot of big store uh, retailers, big box retailers are driving it. At the same time, 
they're all looking at providing some sort of a personalized experience. So what are you seeing in the market? Is experience more about quickness of delivery and pricing and things that remove the friction from buying? Or is it more about the experience of decision-making and uh, experiencing the product itself to, dis- to, to make the decision? So where, where does that line get drawn and what technologies are, vendor- are retailers experimenting to figure that out? This is one of those things where I think, you know, the, the, maybe the unpopular answer is to say that it's a little bit of all of the above. And in fact, I would argue that the best retailers are going to find the right mix for their target customer that tackles everything you just described to some degree. So if we kind of break that down, you know, pick some examples, right? So everyone's favorite example of the last year is Amazon, of course, because they were ultimately, by the end of the year, right, wildly successful at, at delivering e-commerce sales. However, there are a couple of considerations to, and caveats to put on that. Now, most people probably forget, but at the beginning, that, you know, we go back to last spring of 2020, Amazon did stumble a little bit because even their elaborate logistics environment and supply chain couldn't quite handle the sudden spikes in demand. And, and to be fair, no retailer could, right? I mean, I think everybody remembers the, the craziness of trying to rush out and buy toilet paper, right? And how everybody complained, I can't find any anywhere. And you know, the fact is, it's not that enough toilet paper wasn't being manufactured. It's just that, to your point, all of this supply chain optimization that had happened over the recent years had all been designed for a mainstream flow. You know, it was designed to minimize my inventory hold at the warehouses or retailers so I don't have to have that capital investment. It was designed to allow for quick replenishment. It was designed for a run rate, basically, rather than a spike. And the fact is, you know, nobody was going to predict it, no matter what kind of AI you applied to it. Nobody was predicting what happened with this kind of a pandemic. Uh, so they hiccuped just like everybody else did, but they recovered well. And I think you have to give them credit that they were able to quickly come back and, and in fact, improve on their delivery throughout the year to the point where it once again was a competitive advantage for them. Other, other retailers smartly gleaned on like what we had just talked about, you know, curbside delivery through their store network as a way to compensate for that. And over the holiday season, you know, one of my favorite topics was the whole concept of Shipageddon in that, you know, FedEx, UPS, all the carriers, the post office recognized that they just didn't have the capacity to handle everybody's holiday shopping through e-commerce fulfillment. Amazon was left being probably the most advantageous because they had their own logistics network and their own delivery uh, network take care of that. So they weren't so reliant on FedEx or UPS. A lot of other retailers suffered from that and they had customers experiencing delays. So there is still a need for that kind of optimization because obviously from the customer's point of view, customer doesn't care about your supply chain issues, right? They don't care about what you've done to optimize your supply chain or a fulfillment network. They just care about when do they get their item that they purchased. And the faster you get it to them, the happier they're going to be. So you, you still have to do that, right? There's no getting out of the need to optimize that fulfillment process. And different retailers, depending on the product categories that they're in, are going to find different ways to do this. You know, you, you mentioned micro-fulfillment earlier. That's one option. At the moment, it still seems to be a, a little bit of an expensive option to do for most retailers because of, you know, if you, you think about the simple real estate costs of where stores are versus where warehouses and fulfillment centers uh, are typically located. You know, there's, all, there's been lots of news throughout the year of Amazon buying anchor, or empty, I should say, mall anchor locations around the country. and you know, I, I've been saying for a while that that kind of thing, it, it, it defies logic a little bit for me because if you're Amazon, you probably can buy whatever real estate you want 
you know, and get the, get the pick of the litter, so to speak, from the commercial real estate providers out there where you want to buy facilities. And the fact is, you know, these anchor store locations at malls, they're not really set up for a fulfillment operation. You know, the parking lot in front of the store is not set up for massive amounts of trucks to show up with merchandise. The physical space inside, right, is going to have to get retrofitted for storage racks and, and automation processes for picking and packing. Uh, and then you've got delivery vans that have to leave that. So just that, that whole process just seems very forced at that point. And you come down to the raw real estate cost per square foot. You know, it's still more expensive than anything Amazon would pay in a traditional warehouse or fulfillment location that's not that close to the residential area. Sure, there's an advantage that it's close to customers, but I think there are still other locations that are, you know, would be set up for different commercial uses that are going to be cheaper. So I, I don't quite see the logic of that one. Now, what you did see Amazon do is buy entire malls <laughs> and, and, and re-outfit those because those malls were, had just died and, and were being shut down. That makes a little bit more sense to me than, and to most folks, I think, than saying they're just going to buy one location at a mall that's remaining open. So you've got all of those optimizations. But then to your point, you know, where do you optimize for the rest of the experience? And the fact is, the buying experience, I'll call it, that the customer goes through, you, know, you look at it in-store, still has places that can be optimized, right? We, a couple of years ago before the pandemic, everybody was wildly in love with Amazon's Just Walk Out technology and this idea of a cashierless experience where through AI, computer vision, and a lot of sensor-based technology, you could just walk into a store, pick an item up, walk out, and magically be charged the correct price for it, and everyone's happy and you never had to wait in line. And Truthfully, right, if you've been to one of the Amazon Go stores, I, just about everyone I know that's been to one of the shop there who was skeptical going in came out a true believer and said, wow, this is a fantastic experience. I haven't experienced that yet. but, I, but have, you, have you been to one? If you haven't... No, I, I haven't. Yeah, well, when we get to, you know, when travels open up again and you're in one of those locations, you, you want to check it out. I, I have to say, I've been to three of them. And I, I am a believer that, that that really is, I think, the the absolute best frictionless experience. Uh, not the only one, because they're not the only people that have this technology and can do it. There are lots of other competitors now. But as a, as a type of experience, there's no question that it, it, consumers will absolutely love it. You know, the idea of not having to stop in, in line is, is, is wonderful. So let's talk about that's a that's a great example of a technology like that leverages AI, that leverages computer vision, that leverages, you know, a lot of other infrastructure things that, you know, is needed to make that happen. Now, Amazon of course, is the forerunner, and you know, it always proves that you know something new works. And if it if it is great, and if got good positive feedback from the industry overall, from consumers, why don't we see that being adopted by other retailers yet? I mean, is it is it the cost? Is it that they don't have the technology know how, or something else? Yeah, I think there are a few factors at play. So one, cost is definitely one. You know, the, the everyone at least believes, and certainly Amazon is not exactly publishing this information for everyone to consume. But the general belief is that the the way they implemented their just walk out technology is is pretty expensive. You, you've got a lot of camera equipment. It's very computer vision based, but it's not exclusively computer vision based. So there are still shelf based sensors at every fixture. So you've you've got a lot of moving parts, a lot of components. So that the the technology lift is pretty big, even for a convenience store size space. And if you think about it, if it was that inexpensive and that easy, you'd expect they would have implemented it from from the beginning at the first Amazon grocery store that they opened, and they haven't yet, right? So they've they've done slightly larger implementation with I think they call it Amazon Go. 
grocery, but the, the full Amazon grocery experience, they went with a smart cart instead of the full store experience of this computer vision angle. And it's hard to say whether it's cost. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I don't I'm not I don't have access to that insider information, but the general belief is that it's cost. Amazon has licensed the technology to a couple other retailers. I, I think the first implementations are at airports. And in my opinion, that's pro- for me the most likely place we'll, we'll see this kind of technology deployed. It's going to be in places where that ultimate convenience factor and speed that it delivers to the customer is the most critical factor in the experience. And I know you're a frequent traveler, COVID notwithstanding, just like I am. And you know, you're at the airport, you know, the last thing you want to do, right, is get stuck at a, in line at the checkout at any of these stores at the airport. So I think that's a natural, right? Stadiums, I think, are another natural environment for this. Movie theaters, you know, I'm going to assume that movie theaters will come back okay uh, post-pandemic for, for this discussion. But I think those are natural environments for this. But other traditional retail locations, you know, it, it depends. I think it's, a, it's absolutely, and it depends. Now, Competitive products that are out there, and there's a, a significant number of startups that have come around, you know, also leveraging uh, a combination of things. Some are computer vision-based. I've seen a number of RFID-based uh, startups come up with a similar approach to this that are much less expensive. Uh, so, so cost, I think, is one factor, not necessarily the only one. If you'd want to retrofit a store with this technology, and let's face it, it's going to be pretty disruptive. No matter what the expense of the technology is, it is a disruptive process. So a retailer would have to look at this and say, do I have to close a store to outfit it? Can I do it while the store remains open and not you know, cause a lot of harm to anybody in the store and not be so disruptive that I lose sales from it? So you have to weigh those factors. I think another issue is you know, retailers historically, when they are, have been slow to adopt new technologies, and at the end of the day, right, this is a pretty new technology concept to adapt or to adopt. And it's, it requires a lot of trust with the vendor. And the fact that you have, you know, on the one hand, you've got an Amazon, and I think most retailers are going to hesitate to want to adopt Amazon's technology for this. Even if Amazon says, you know, you, you own all your data from this, don't worry about us. There's a trust issue that, of course, intrinsic there. Plenty of retailers I know will say, you know, they're not even willing to work with a vendor that's running on AWS because they don't want to support their competitor from that sense. So you do have that issue. Then if your alternatives, though, are all are primarily startups, you have the typical you know, retailer technology viewpoint that, well, if I go with this startup, am I going to be left the only customer running it? Are they going to be successful? Are they going to be around? Can they support me? What do I need to know to operate this technology in the long run? It's one thing to install and put in, but I have to maintain. And then I think the final piece is if you go to all the trouble to do this, you absolutely want to leverage all of the data that you're going to generate as part of this process. And you know, one of the, the salient b- beliefs around why Amazon did this is that you know, Amazon's a data machine at the end of the day. They're, they are absolutely all about the data that they collect uh, and what they understand their customers are looking for, what they're, what they're shopping for, what they end up buying. And this environment is probably an extreme right, of data that you can collect in a store about how people shop. So any retailer would love to have that information. But at the same time, they have to have the means to handle that information. They have to have the, the, t- the right talent on their staff to understand what to do with that data and how to derive insights from it that they can act on. So I'm not sure that all of the vendors have delivered on that side of the equation yet to the satisfaction of most retailers. So even if you put the cost piece aside, I think it's still a work in progress from that perspective. No, I, I think you, as you were speaking through this, and I was like, okay, this is... 
classic opportunity, I mean, a great opportunity for the service providers, the managed service providers. Yeah. To solve this problem because, you know, I mean, there, of course, you know, there are vendors out there selling point technologies. I mean, I have a computer vision camera that can scan XYZ. I have an application around it that you can fulfill in order. But to your point, I mean, this needs bigger than just a point computer vision technology. And how do you leverage it? How do you implement it? How do you monitor it? How do you analyze the information? So this leads to me, this leads to another question here, right? Let's talk 5G. Yeah. And uh, another big topic, right? Another great technology being promoted and marketed for bringing unheard of experiences across verticals, retail being one of them for sure. Do you hear enough from retailers, CIOs, when you have those discussions? I mean, do they have an idea of what is 5G and what it can do for them? Or is it still a lot of gap in understanding what this technology is and how they leverage it? What's interesting with this is, and first, I think, yeah, retail CIOs, they're familiar enough to know what 5G is and have a sense of the the raw technological capabilities it's going to bring. I think where the challenge comes in for them is what's the application for them? So if you're a network technology guy, right, then you probably start thinking, well, I've got all this bandwidth that I can now offer as a 5G provider, then I just want to offer connectivity to retailers, right? Replace your store network with 5G, right? And every and everything will be great. Well, except that that's not that simple to the retailer from, from that point of view. So I think that, for example, if that were the only use case for 5G, I don't think you'd get anywhere with retailers because retailers want control of that network. You know, obviously all of their data is riding on that network. So it's not something that they're going to want to say, and, you know, and it's not like the retailer is going to create a, necessarily a private 5G network all their own uh, for just the store network. Now, Depending on how, and, and I haven't seen exactly how the operators are, are intending to do this, but you know, when you, when you look into concepts like slicing, network slicing technology in 5G, can you carve out the equivalent to private networks within 5G and offer that as the connectivity to retailers? Then it starts to get a little more interesting from that perspective. You know, that didn't really work out for retailers with 4G. 4G really got, ended up being the technology they used for maybe one of three ways. One, for pop-up stores because of the speed with which you want to pop up the store and then probably the speed at which you want to take it down when you're done with it, 4G worked well for that. It was a good backup solution, right? For whatever your primary connectivity to the store was, 4G could be a good backup option on the assumption that you know it was only going to kick in in very limited use because you were probably already in, in most stores generating so much traffic volume that it was going to be too much for 4G to handle at, at a given location. So that was another use case. And then, you know, there other things might be, you know, I'll call it temporary things that aren't permanently set up by retailers and stores. You know, maybe they're going around checking things with a, a portable device or in a sensor for a sensor technology deployment, and they're testing things out. And 4G was great for that. But those aren't really the things that you want to enable with 5G. I think with 5G, you can do some really interesting things. And I'm actually going to go back to what you said about the opportunity for service providers to and for, for managed service providers, because you know I mentioned earlier robotics was one of those things that was getting a lot of attention pre-pandemic in retail, and that's another one of those applications where cost is what's holding them back. Uh, in fact, I remember at one conference that I was at pre-pandemic where one of the robotics vendor CEOs said that in their opinion they felt that the the total market for robotics in retail was somewhere around maybe fifteen thousand robots. Now. That number you know, might be bigger, it might be smaller by now, maybe post-pandemic it changes. But I think clearly one of the limiting factors was the cost per robot for that. 
But what if you had a service provider uh, who bundled the robot and turned it into a service offering with connectivity? And why do I say with connectivity? Because in the end, almost every use case for what you're going to have that robot do in the store centers around some sort of data collection or data distribution that's going to rely on something the robot is doing. Uh, and you, the more real-time you can make that data collection, the more real-time you can make the analysis of that data to get some actionable insights back to the staff at the store that can act on it, the better that solution is and the faster you're going to achieve a good ROI from the retailer's point of view for having made that investment. Now, today, it's still expensive because the robots just are expensive and the connectivity requirements are expensive. I, I know one grocery chain, for example, uh, that I talked with who was deploying robots to do things like shelf scanning so that they could quickly get a sense of what uh, items need to be replenished on a shelf without having to ask their staff to run up and down the aisles all day long just doing that task. Uh, which, by the way, at the end of the day, it's a pretty mundane task right, to ask your sales associates to do, and it keeps them from helping customers. So if you could automate it with a robot and at the same time maybe have that robot linked to some IoT-type sensors you have in your cooler cases in the grocery store to do temperature checks, all that data gets gathered some of it visual, some of it just numerical, it all gets thrown back across a network into the cloud. There's going to be an AI system somewhere that's analyzing this and returning back to a store manager immediately actionable indicators that say, oh, in aisle seven, replenish the shelves for these three items. Or you know, go check the cooler in the freezer section, the third one is off by a degree. And they can immediately act on that information. Well, most of the grocers I know were doing this, they had to upgrade their networks considerably because Prior to that, they weren't generating this kind of volume of data, so they didn't need all excessive amounts of bandwidth. 5G could make that easy because we, you're starting to talk now about bandwidth levels that to get this in wire connectivity, even cable networks right, might, might not provide as much raw capacity for this. And I can easily envision a service provider that says, you know, I can offer you not a, a robotic solution, but an automation solution for monitoring shelf level inventory. You know, checking temperature sensors in the store, monitoring for spills, for example, in aisles, again, sticking to the, the grocery example. And I bundle all this together with self-contained connectivity that the robot uses, which of course would be 5G, maybe even bundle it with the necessary IoT sensors in these use cases. And, and I offer that to the retailer for a fixed price per month. That's going to be much more palatable right, to the retailer than having to make that capital investment in robotics. Have you seen anyone doing that yet? I've not seen it yet. I'm waiting for it to happen. I, I, I'm expecting that to happen. I, I think the obviously there were a lot of moving parts in what I just described. So for any MSP to do it, I think it can be done. It's just going to take time. Yeah, no, I think my I completely agree with you. I think that's the model going forward. The challenge I see, though, is the DNA of companies who have been serving the industry traditionally, right? If you look, you look at you know service providers, telcos in particular, right? They're very connectivity-oriented place, right? They've they've not. I mean, their their application play had traditionally been more around communications, right? Not end-to-end end-to-end solutions that bring in multiple devices and technologies, right? And if you look at vendors, vendors have also been point-one technologies where they may integrate an LTE modem or a 5G modem that offers connectivity, but then again, they're not taking the onus of complete end-to-end solution. And I, I still feel there is category of either it will be a new breed of vendors or a new breed of service providers that will figure this out, right? I mean, we've, we've all seen 
that happen in in multiple industries that includes communications for example right somebody took the onus of doing you know putting all this together iot the providing a whole iot as a service there has to be a retail application as a service i mean i was just looking at you know domino's recent announcement about the the self driving cars for pizza delivery in houston right yeah i saw that yeah yeah I mean, they, of course, it is not a vendor selling just a technology, right? It's Nuru coming together with an entire solution. Of course, that that vehicle has to have everything in place, connectivity and everything to, to make that work. Now, there is that kind of vendor who will figure all that out versus a service provider. Now, yeah, I'm yet to see whether, you know, who will who will really you know, figure this out collectively. I know a lot of providers are actually pivoting. Verizon is doing work with with Deloitte to put together an entire retail solution. Of course, Amazon is big into this and they're trying to license their technology. And it's it's really I still I still feel the service providers are still only looking at it from a perspective of infrastructure, not a solution. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you on that. I think what's interesting here is everybody of course focuses on what their core specialty is. And, and you're right that, you know, the, the telcos, they focus on connectivity circuits, whether it's, you know, wired or, or uh, adapting that circuit concept to, to wireless capacity. You've got traditional communication service providers who are used to layering management of these things on top, not necessarily down to the true solution level for the technology. Then you have these, you know, the point technology vendors who are trying to wrap these other components around their technology, but they don't have necessarily the experience in how to do that. You know, in the past, you, I, I suppose I would argue we've looked to system integrators to be the ones that push, push all these things together and come up with that final package. Of course, I think the challenge is when you have the really big SIs out there, when they do this, the audience tends to get limited to just the largest retailers uh, because that's who they're used to working with. So it always leaves you with the question of, okay, what about all of the mid-tier retailers who Frankly, at the end of the day, I would argue they're the ones that stand to benefit the most, you know, because the, the biggest retailers, you know, if you're Walmart, you, you kind of make the argument that says, well, they can just go and do whatever they want to do. Yeah. They're not going to need this kind of solution. They could piece it together themselves, right? And it's so good target. Exactly. And with 5G, right, to your point, I mean, the technology is different. In fact, saw announcements last year that they're testing 5G, they're putting 5G antennas on top of their, you know, stores and playing around with it for the new health services that they plan to offer within the stores, right? So, and then of course, using that private 5G network for other other, other things as we were talking about, you know, scanning the shelves and, and whatnot. But of course, they, they have the, you know, the money, the resources, the the capacity to, to you know, work with big, big companies to make it happen. And it's just the the mid tier solutions we'll have to figure out what what will really work for them. And I'm myself, you know, looking out for what is that use case for mid tiers for five G computer vision and and how how will they be able to leverage in these pop up stores? All right, I think we are pretty much close to our time here. I want to I want to ask you one last question, which always you know at the top of my mind is in the minds of the retail CIOs. What are the top three challenges they are trying to solve? And where do you see the gap in what is being pitched to them versus their priorities? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, certainly one of the areas that's top of mind and you know, would cause people to lose sleep, so to speak. If, if they're looking back at what ha, where have they come from over the past year, there's one clear story that, that surfaces to the top for just about every retailer, and that's that. Convenience capabilities, convenience to the customer, 
right? Something your consumer would label a convenience has suddenly become the most important thing for the consumer to make a decision on where they're going to buy. And the challenge for the retailer is it turns out that most of the time, these convenience capabilities end up being the most expensive things a retailer can implement. And they end up being the most expensive sometimes, certainly over the past year, they're expensive because they rushed to do it. And they had to do that to survive. You know, one of my favorite things to say about just so many retailers I talked to over the past year is that every retail CEO learned that they can go to their CIO now and say, you know, when you used to tell me every project takes six months to deploy, now I know you can do it in six weeks. So don't ever tell me it's going to take six months again. And I've heard that one play in multiple, multiple uh, retailers. So, but now there, there's a price you pay for that speed, right? And sometimes the price you pay is that it's not optimized. So uh, one of the things I've heard from many retailers that this year, the goal is to look at all those things they did last year, figure out how to optimize the cost out of it. Because unfortunately, all these convenience capabilities have really cut into profitability. Now, we've all heard you know, all those financial reports like from, from the real outlier performers like Target and Walmart, where they've got you know, 300% growth or 150% increase in curbside revenue and such. And, but all these numbers tend to be top-line revenue. When you dig into it, what you find is that their margins are getting squeezed. And uh, this is particularly true in grocery. You know, there are plenty of grocers who would quietly and discreetly sit, say to you, you know, if, if we may, were to maintain the rate of increase in delivery orders for grocery, and even in some cases, the curbside pickup, you know, our margins would get squeezed down to zero in the long run. And it's just not sustainable. So they have to find another option than the way they're doing it now. So I think that's the big thing right now for just about every retailer is even if you were successful coming out of 2020 and you you turn the corner, you've got to figure out now how to optimize all of these things you just did over the past year because more than likely they're all costing you too much to maintain. So any any insight on what what those things are going to be? So if you look at uh, grocery, for example, I think this is where you are going to see more micro fulfillment capabilities happening. How that manifests, I think, maybe isn't necessarily the way a lot of people are talking about. So everyone sort of puts that into the context of, oh, well, each grocer is just going to carve out a, you know, a space in the back room to store all their products for micro-fulfillment for online orders so that they don't have to send human beings into the store to pick things off the shelf. Well, that's okay. If you're not automating that process through robotics, then you're still using people to do it. You know, Maybe you're doing it in a smaller space. So that you could factor that into a cost of air, but you're still going to have a labor cost. You know, and that's really what's killing grocers in, the, in this capacity and these convenience features. It's the labor cost because it's labor that's not doing something else that could be more productive from, from a revenue perspective. So I think these micro-fulfillment things will happen. They're, 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 the larger grocers will be able to absorb the cost of deploying them through the, these automation systems and robotics. You know, It's like what Kroger is doing with Ocado. I think they just opened you know, one of their new facilities that's fully automated for this kind of micro-fulfillment. But not every grocer can do that. Not every grocer is going to have the deep pockets they need to fund this kind of activity. So what are they going to do? They are going to convert either some space in their stores, or they may turn some stores into dark stores. Although I, I would argue that dark stores are, again, it's expensive real estate if you're not letting customers in the door. But there's, you know, you can create combinations of these things. And I think every grocer is going to be looking for what's my balance for this. The other factor that you don't hear too many people talking about, but I think is going to be a factor here, especially again for grocery, the, the store layout for grocery stores, you know, if you looked at a picture of a grocery store from 100 years ago, and you looked at one from today, 
except for the fact that the old photo is going to be in black and white, you probably couldn't tell the difference <laughs> because <laughs> the layouts just haven't changed, right? So the uh, center store is, is definitely going to change. You know, the fresh food areas, produce, meat departments, these are the things that people want to go into the store to buy because people don't necessarily want someone else choosing for them. But all your shelf-stable items, I, I mean, what difference does it make to you as the consumer, right? If I pick the um, bag of rice off the shelf versus, you know, somebody else does it for me. It, it really doesn't matter, right? It's the same product. Uh, but it's different if you're asking someone to pick up peaches. And they already know which one to buy, right? It, exactly, right. You already The intent is already there. Yeah, you don't have to choose. So I think we are going to see big changes coming for store layout because that's one way grocers can optimize the mix and shift the balance. And what would be the ideal scenario? I, I think you would take all these shelf-stable areas and if you have a customer base that's going to embrace digital ordering, reduce that footprint. You know, save your footprint for the things people are willing to come into the store. Have more prepared food areas at the grocery store because that drives people in. You know, there's been this rise of the new term, the grocerant, because it's merging of grocery and restaurant. And I think we'll see more of that in that segment because it's more profitable. You know, if you sell prepared foods in the grocery store, you, you can build more margin into that, much like you know what a restaurant can do. Maybe we'll see partnering more between groceries, uh, grocery stores and local restaurants like we saw in some parts around the country during the pandemic where restaurants made their meals available at a grocery store when they were forced to close. Uh, so these are all kinds of little things that when you start to add them up, it's going to change the, the profitability model for the grocery. So that's going to have an impact. In other segments, it's going to work very, very different. You know, if you look at apparel, which is starting to rebound, apparel still has an, an issue when it comes to digital with returns, because what do most people do? They order three sizes of something because they know one of them is going to fit. And that means they, they have to return the other two. And the return logistics are significant for most retailers. So I think that's the area where they're going to start to optimize. I think we've started to see more intelligent digital solutions for handling fit issues so that when you shop for apparel, you get a better fit. You know, Amazon just launched, I don't think too many people have talked about this, but they launched a made-to-order t-shirt product where you use your phone in the Amazon app and it takes pictures from certain angles of you and they precisely analyze those photos to tailor a t-shirt exactly for you. And you get it within a few days, uh, which I, I argue that's pretty amazing. Now, of course, it's, it's a very basic product. It's a t-shirt. But, you know, like everything Amazon does, you have to assume that's an experiment that they're uh, looking at to see how can they expand that into other product types later. We'll see other people do this. You know, years ago, we, there was a lot of talk and many vendors at NRF showed solutions around 3D printing and how retailers might leverage 3D printing in store to create some products. Maybe there's something that will happen there. We haven't really seen that happen yet. And I'm not sure that that lends itself to too many product categories, but there are things that I think you know, technologies will come out of that that will help change these models now. But every, every retail segment is going to look at this differently and adjust what the purpose of the store is. I don't believe stores are going to go away. I actually do believe when we see these numbers that more stores will open. They're just going to be for different purposes and, and different brands are going to be shifting. You know, the brands that we used to see have a lot of stores are going to end up having fewer, but brands that used to have very few stores will suddenly have a lot of stores. And that's a natural evolution of retail. That's very well said, Ricardo. Purpose of the store will be different. I think that's where people, hard to fathom the idea of they always look at things, you know, black and white. Okay, I need a store. I need a store based on my current experience of what I go for to a store for. And the whole idea of a store is going to change. I, and I, I personally feel, even to your point, when you're talking about the the layout of the stores, uh, I always feel like, okay, why? I mean, Walmart has been playing around with this for for years. They they have other mini stores within Walmart. 
And I, I feel as they optimize the space, they will find these strategic partnerships that actually will drive foot traffic for other things. It's not just service-oriented stores, mini stores within within a larger big box store. And the whole idea of big malls is yet to, you know, we'll see if that, if that will survive the way it is today. Well, Thank you so much. This was this was great discussion. I think there is there is so much to look at in terms of what is out there for consumers to experience. I mean, we feel that okay, Amazon has changed our life, but I don't think based on what you were talking about with 3D printing, intelligent fit issue, fit challenges and all that, there's so much innovation out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Thanks a lot once again. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Great discussion, Ricardo. Your point about the change in the purpose of the store is spot on. If you must give a name to the retail renaissance, it ought to be convenience. The successful vendors or service providers will provide end-to-end technology solutions that remove friction from the shopping experience without IT complexities and ridiculous cost. It has been a pleasure having you on the show, Ricardo. Thank you for your great insights. Thanks everyone for listening. Please go over and subscribe to the Alignment Podcast on your favorite platform. We hope you will continue the conversation by asking questions and sharing your thoughts regarding how technologies are evolving to improve retail experience and business operations. Feel free to reach out to me on ashish.jain at kairospulse.com or drop me a note on my LinkedIn. Until next time, get vaccinated and stay safe.